Okay, we are we are in Romans, Romans chapter thirteen. We're still in Romans chapter thirteen, and we we spoke we spoke uh, through verse ten last time. So let's pick it up from verse eleven. Romans chapter thirteen, verse eleven. Do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. And night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Okay, so he says, he says in verse 11, do this. This is something we're supposed to do. Do this, knowing the time is, our, is already, knowing that it's already the hour for you to awaken. You know, I, I see this, this pattern sometimes in young people that when I graduate, then, then we'll really plug in. You know, when we graduate, we'll really you know, take, a ch- take church seriously and, and uh, uh, we'll really start doing this sort of thing. And what happens is there's this feeling that once I graduate, then everything will be much easier for me because I won't have exams. I, you, you know, imagine not having exams to, to, to study for and things like that. And then what happens is, is you get a job and the job starts getting fairly demanding and you find out that most jobs that you get when you graduate from university are not a nine to five job. They actually expect you to do much more beyond 5 p.m. And they expect you to get things done and somehow show up in the morning and, and, and have things done. So you'll see the demands on you become more. You end up getting married and now you're, you're, you're uh, uh, caring for another person and you find out your time really isn't your own anymore. And then when you have a child, you find out your, t- your sleep isn't your own anymore either, uh, uh, that everything begins to change. So as I've seen people, when they graduate, sometimes they're like, I had no idea life can be this full. And, and uh, because when, when they were a student, they, they, they traveled more, they did more things, they, they went out in the evenings sometimes, and, and so it becomes a lot more difficult. And we need to grow up. This is essentially his saying, we need to grow up. It's, it's time to do this. He says in verse 12, the, the night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So I want to look at this. It says, put on the armor of light. I checked the literal translation, and it's right there. It's put on the armor of light. This is actually something we're supposed to take. So envision this. There's something we're supposed to be taking and putting on ourselves, because we're going to see this recurring theme. Put on the armor of light. When we go about doing the things of God, it is actually like armor. It is like armor. It really helps us to, to, to battle during, during our Christian life. When we do the deeds that are right, when we get away from darkness, if as a believer, just, just first of all, you, you can't be like the unbeliever when you're a believer. 
You say you know, unbelievers do this all the time. They can get away with many things that believers cannot get away with. Because God holds us more accountable. To whom much is given, much is expected. This is what the scriptures tell us. And uh, uh, when you're a believer, everything begins to change. Our obligations begin to change. There are expectations that he puts upon us. And praise God, he doesn't leave us in that place. He actually starts putting different things upon us. And so what you see here is you see that, that he says you get an armor of light. When you start getting Jesus and you start following this, there is this armor of light that really makes you very strong. And if you do the deeds of darkness, it'll draw you away from God. Absolutely. You want to know what will draw you away from your relationship with God? You sin. When you sin, it'll draw you away from your relationship with God. You will not lose your salvation. No way. That won't happen. But you will lose out on much blessing and you'll lose out on the fellowship with God if you continue in sin. And the day you come to the Lord, He begins to drop things in your heart. The things that you did with, without even batting an eye, it was just fine. You will see you don't even need anybody to tell you not to do that because the Word of God will tell you and the Holy Spirit will tell you. There will be this little thing poking at you that that you can't do it anymore. You can't be like that anymore. And thank God that he doesn't leave us in that present state, but he continues to teach us. He continues to teach us new ways. And so now he gets very specific with us. He says in verse 13, Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness. So remember how you used to go out. And and I know many of you here grew up in Christian homes, so you don't even know what I'm talking about. But there's other people who didn't grow up in Christian homes, and 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 uh, uh, things that they did, things that they did in the evening. So this carousing and drinking, he's saying you can't do that anymore. You can't do it anymore. And in fact, as you do it, you won't have the same type of joy in it because you know that's not where you ought to be. Not in carousing and drunkenness. People have asked me sometimes, where does it say that you, you, you know you, you shouldn't take recreational drugs? Well, it talks about drunkenness. It talks about drunkenness, and to the extent that recreational drug will cause you to lay down your inhibitions and, and be as if you were drunk, that is specifically what it's talking about. So, uh, carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. So this is quite a list. This Romans 13.13 13 is an amazing list because it will hit everybody. Not in carousing and drunkenness and not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. This is where most young people are hit in the area of sensuality. And I've seen this many times. I saw it in my own life. And this is the, the biggest struggle for young people. The biggest struggle for young people is in the sexual realm. And it doesn't stop for young people. I mean, it'll continue, it'll continue through your life. And, uh, uh, it is one of the biggest battles for people is this whole thing of sensuality, particularly with young people. And I counsel many young people, not because I enjoy counseling, it's because they come to me. I'm not a trained counselor. I'm not very good at it, but I, I, I do the best I can to try to help people when they come to see me. 
But, but uh, uh, it talks about this whole idea of sensuality. He says you've got to put this thing down. You've got to behave properly as, uh, as in the day. Not in carousing and drunkenness. Not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. He tells us to lay this thing down. And because of our culture, because of what we've been through, this thing, this, this drive can be absolutely so overwhelming. And what it happens is, especially for believers, because there's this tearing at the fabric of our lives, because we know what is right, and we have these sexual desires that just tear at us. And it is the biggest element of struggle for young people. The biggest element of struggle for young people is exactly this. And then there's the whole battle of... of uh, um, same-sex attraction that, that uh, uh, so many people struggle with. And, you know, for many years, people used to come to me on occasion and, and share this, and I was never really good at, at understanding all of this. I, I really wasn't, and I, and I have to apologize to people if, if they're ever listening again because I just wasn't good at it. And, uh, um, and then a, a couple of years ago, somebody who was very close to me who, who you, you know, I really liked this person, and they came and they shared with me their own struggles in, in same-sex attraction. And it wasn't like they were indulging in it. It's just that that was the reality of what was going on in their life, same-sex attraction. And, and, that, and, and so there is this, there are the, this subset among us who are same-sex attracted. And it happens to men, and it happens to women. And think of this, as believers, they're utterly torn because they read passages in the Bible that teach them one thing. They see in the world that it's proclaiming another thing. And they're torn in their hearts because they read the Bible. And it's not like they want to be this way. I mean, the the things they tell me, you know, it's not like I want to be this way. And so when I heard this a couple of years ago, I went on a Binge of reading, reading about authors, reading about same-sex attraction and the struggles, and reading Christian authors, some that had become Christians after they had had lifestyles where they were practicing in that realm, others who had just grown up in devoted Christian homes and yet always being same-sex attracted. I think that there's 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 one book in particular, if I could recommend. One book on this, and, and, uh, uh, it's by Rachel Gilson, G-I-L-S-O-N. Rachel Gilson, and it's called Born Again This Way. You've heard people say, well, I was born this way. So she wrote a book called Born Again This Way, where she was, she was not only same-sex attracted, she was, had a lifestyle of practicing, uh, uh, and, 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 uh, as a lesbian. And then in college, she got saved. And then the struggle with that, what was never a struggle in her life before because she just indulged in it and her family was free with it. And now all of a sudden she becomes a believer. And then the struggles that she goes through. So she's written a, a really compelling uh, book on this and it's a short book. It, it, you, you could get done with the whole book in three hours easily. And, uh, uh, and these are by people that really understand the pain of this. And sometimes it's good for believers who do not struggle with this to read something like that so they understand the struggle that others amongst us have 
with, with same-sex attraction. And the other book is Confronting Christianity by uh, uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, M.C. Laugh, uh, L.I.N., Rebecca McLaughlin, uh, and, and uh, it's called Confronting Christianity. So the, the whole, it had, there's a chapter on same-sex attraction. Uh, and uh, uh, again, Rebecca was another woman, who grew, but she grew up in a Christian home. Never indulging in same sex, in, in same sex, never indulging in any form of sex, uh, uh, because she was so devoted as a believer, but clearly same sex attracted. Now, both of these women today are married to men, and both of these women today have children. So it's interesting to hear what they went through, and, and their recommendations. Not, not everybody, not everybody is gonna be able to marry when they're same sex attracted. And so, so, uh, um, but these are real struggles. And what he gets at in the heart of this, this is what I love about the Word of God. It's not a bunch of theoretical stuff that just says, be good. It is not that. It hits us right where we live. And it hits us right in this whole thing of sensuality, which is the biggest struggle for young people. So I have this series on my website called Scriptural Sexual Ethics. So if you just went to jmtour.com and under audio files you'll see you'll see uh, scriptural sexual ethics it's a six part series that is now 17 years ago I recorded that but it still applies today and and I talk about my own struggles in this area and how I I, I was I was dedicated to walking as a believer yet the struggles that was were going on in my mind so I wasn't practicing sensuality outside but the battle in my mind was so extreme. And what I realized when I shared things like that and my own struggles is that I realized it opened many young men up. They thought, wow, you struggled with this too? It's not, it's not like I struggled with it and now I have overcome. It is a constant struggle. And you'd be like, at your age? Yeah. It, when, it, when it stops being a struggle for me, I'll let you know. <laughs> right? And, and uh, um, the battle in the mind. Because at the age of 14, I got addicted to pornography. It was never in my home. I found it in, in the gas station where I was working. And, uh, um, and so by the age of 18, when I got saved, I had been terribly addicted to pornography when I got saved. And the Lord just broke that in me. The day I got saved, the attraction to pornography was gone. But the images in my mind remained. I can remember the images. I can remember the pictures that I looked at when I was 14. You know, I, I wish I could remember molecular structures that well. And, uh, uh, but but there, it's just seared in my mind. And the battle is there. And so, so he gets at this and he says, there is a way through this. There is a way through this and I'm not leaving you there. I'm not just saying be good. The Bible doesn't teach that, oh, just be good. It gives us specific things to do to address this sort of thing. There are things that he specifically gives us. Then he mentions not in strife and jealousy. You know, you can, you get a job. I don't care who you are or where you're working, even if you work in a church, if you get a job, you're around other people. And there are things of strife and jealousy and bitterness and things go on. It happens in, in marriages. It happens in families. 
And in marriages, we have to deal with these things. We have to confront them and they have to be addressed. Same at work. They have to be confronted, they have to be addressed, or else what happens is, is that it makes life miserable. And he gives us the way to deal with these things. So you see in verse 14, he says, but put on. So in verse 12, remember he said the second sentence, therefore let us lay aside the deeds of the darkness and put on the armor of light. There's this physical thing that we are supposed to, this picture of us taking something and putting it on. Then again, he says it in verse 14, but put on. And again, those words put on are in the literal translation. They're not just, you know, filling in space. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. So he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This whole idea of physically putting on Jesus, this armor that he's talking about. We're putting on this armor of light. We're putting on Jesus. I want you to hold on to that picture. But then he says, he says, uh, uh, you're to make no provision for the flesh in regard to the lusts thereof. So in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18, 1 Corinthians 6 18, it says, it says, flee immorality. Flee immorality. Period. That's what it says. Flee immorality. Period. What part of flee immorality do you not understand? Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. So he's saying it's particularly bad. Immorality is particularly bad, and you flee from it. You know what that means? It means that you don't go to her home at night to study when something might happen. You don't even put yourself in that situation. You flee from it. Everybody here, as far as I can tell, has two legs. Use them. You flee from it. You go in the opposite direction. Don't go into situations where you might be overcome. You flee from it. So, some have said to me, don't you, you don't trust me. This has been told to me before. And my reply is always, no way do I trust you. I don't even trust myself in these dimensions. No way. I absolutely do not trust you. I don't trust myself. And this is why at this stage in my life, at my age, I still take steps to prevent myself from falling into a place of immorality. There are places where I will not go. I don't want to be in my office with a door shut with another woman being there. I don't want to do that. So the door stays open. Um, John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25, it says, John 2, 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing the signs which he was doing. So many believed in Jesus. So they've become believers. So we can trust them, right? The next verse says, But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus didn't trust him either. And I don't trust people either because I know our weakness in this dimension. Once in a while you'll find somebody super strong. And that's usually because they don't have the same level of hormones running through them that everybody else does. 
And that's the only reason why they're so strong in this. And, and uh, uh, there are places, there are situations that we don't get ourselves into when there's a risk that we can fall into trouble with this. And so you, you, you flee from that. So what is, it, what is it that we're supposed to put on here? So I, I want to look at, at, at uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. And we're going to look through this portion. And you're going to see that he doesn't leave us alone, but it's, there's this transferal to the things of Jesus. You know, one of my prayers, when it's difficult for me to love somebody, which is like very often, my wife just loves everybody. She's just happy. She wakes up happy and and, and just, she goes about the day happy. I'm like just the opposite. And, and uh, I don't wake up happy. I don't look forward to meeting people and hugging them and all these things. And, and, so I find myself having to say, Lord, love this person through me. Lord, love them through me. And you know what happens? Go figure, God answers prayer. He starts to love them through me. They sense love and I start loving them. I just say, Lord, love them through me. It's this whole transfer of from myself to taking on the things of Jesus. Lord, love them through me. Verse 12 of, 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 I'm sorry, this is Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. I'm not sure if I said Colossians. It's Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on, there it is, the same word, put on a heart of compassion. In other words, you didn't have it on. So, look, I'm compassionate. No, you're not. No, you're not. Not to the degree that Jesus wants you to be compassionate. You put on this heart of compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is something we have to put on. Jesus didn't just come and say you should do this. He wasn't this prophet who just came and told us what we should do. Just the opposite. He lived this before us. He lived a perfect life before the Father. He taught us what it is to live before the Father. He taught us what it is and how you have this relationship before God. And Jesus wasn't this super holy man. I mean, he was just, he was with people. He was with people all the time. Children were coming up and sitting on his lap. Uh, th- there was this guy that, that, that sick women could touch that was actually reaching out and touching lepers. He says, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gen- gentleness, and patience. If you don't have patience for a situation, say, Lord, give me your patience. And you know what's going to happen? You're All of a sudden, you're going to find this enormous patience in you. Because it's transferred from Jesus to you. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should you. Alright, so he tells us to forgive others. You got a problem at work with somebody where somebody has said or done something to you? The problem is yours. You have to forgive them. Well, forgiveness is a two-way street, you know. Oh, is it? When Jesus was on the cross, he says... Father, forgive them if they've said sorry. No, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgiveness is often one way. It is often one way. 
He says, as the believer, you are to forgive them just as Jesus has forgiven you. If you've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer, Father, forgive us our our transgressions as we forgive others their transgressions against us. And then it goes right on to say, and if you forgive others their transgressions, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. And if you don't, He won't. It is very explicit. And He tells us that we are to forgive others. And that's going to start the whole building of the relationship with this person at work. We are to forgive them. You can say, Lord, there's nothing in my heart that's there to forgive them. So, Lord, I pray, give me your forgiveness. It's the whole transferal. You are putting on this heart. You put on the armor of light. You put on Jesus. You put him on. It's this transferal. Remember, he doesn't just leave us there and say, just be good. Just behave yourself. Just grow up and behave yourself. No. He says, I leave with you, my son. You can put him on. You put on the Lord Jesus in these situations. Verse 14 of Colossians chapter 3. Beyond all these things, put on love. Beyond all these things. Ultimately, you're going to put on love. Lord, give me love for this person. They are totally unlovely. You know, some people are very easy to love. Some people are really very easy to love. Others are not. I know I'm not. You know, so I'm not not trying to... You know, God gave me a saint in a wife. An absolute saint. I had a secretary tell me that. She said to me, she said, your wife must be a saint. Because I I can be, you know, pretty curt in, in the way I deal with people. And pretty direct. When I came in this morning, the downstairs door was unlocked. Was, was locked. It was and supposed to be unlocked at 9.30. And I've told them 100 times. So poor Jennifer was down there, who runs the children ministry. She said, the door is supposed to be locked. I said, no. At 9.30, it's supposed to be unlocked. 100 times unlocked. She said, I appreciate your intensity. <laughs> I thought I was being nice. And I was being nice, but I was intense. And that's just the way I am. And, and uh, um, uh, Jasmine has probably seen it. You've worked for me in the lab, right? And, and, you know, when something happens, I'll correct it. And if it happens again, I really correct it. Because I don't want it to happen again. I don't want anybody to get hurt. And, and, uh, um, and, and so I can be really direct. And my poor wife, I mean, she's like constantly in the line of fire. And, and, and uh, um, so she, she has to, she has Jesus with her. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. You know, you put on love, that will begin to unify your marriage. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ. It's not my peace. I've got no peace in my heart. I'm flustered. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. It's this whole idea of transferal. You cannot make yourself well. You will never, never be good. You are a sinner caught in sin forever and ever. It is the transferal of Jesus upon you that will bring peace in your life. It's this transferal that will bring love in your life. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Oh, if you would be thankful, if I would be thankful. 
for what we have. You just say, just thank God for 10 things around you. Thank God that you can see. Thank God that you can walk. Thank God that you can hear. You, you thank God for 10 things. All of a sudden, your, your attitude starts to change. That's why he says, and be thankful. Thank God for a few things that will really begin to change this. You know, you don't like this person in your office? Well, thank God you have an office. Some people don't have offices. Thank God you have a chair. Some people don't have chairs to sit on. They sit on the ground. Um, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let the word of Christ, when you take the word of God and make it your daily meditation, it changes so much. If you are not in the word of God every day, do you know what every day means? Do you know what every day means? If you're not in the word of God every day, you are a weakling. Things will just slap you around through the day. If you're in the Word of God, it changes things. He says, let the Word of Christ richly dwell in within you. You have this, this, this whole thing that you, you were thinking about and meditating on this morning. It's not speed reading. It is, it's just the opposite. It's very slow. You're not trying to get done any certain amount here. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. And with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, if I sang to you, you'd be really upset. <laughs> but but what I can do is I, I can teach and admonish you with the teachings of the Word of God. When you have the Word of God, you can speak into all sorts of situations. Things come up. I, I can have a verse for everything. If I will stop. Just for a minute, I can have a verse for every situation. If I just stop and just reflect for a minute, I can pull some scripture, some story in the Bible that matches up, that aligns with this thing. And you'll have this thing for different situations and you can speak it into people's lives. Sometimes unbelievers come to my office and I tell them a Bible story. I say, you know, there was this man Moses in the Bible and here was his situation. And begin to relate some story with this. He says in verse 17 of Colossians chapter 3, Whatever you do, in word or deed, because he gave us a bunch of things to do in deed, he, he, he says bearing with one another, and he says if you have these complaints, he told us a lot of things, and in words, the words of Christ, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Even our giving thanks goes through Jesus. Because we can't even approach God to give thanks. We're not even worthy to approach God to give Him thanks. We're not. But, it says that, that uh, um, giving thanks through Him, through Jesus, to God the Father. It's because of Jesus that we can even give thanks to God. Our thanks wouldn't even approach God if it weren't for Jesus. The light of Jesus being there to, to transport our thanks up to His Father. Where he has, he has torn this, this veil between us and the Father. This, this, this curtain between us and the Father. It's all because of Jesus. It's this transferal. And the same verse we looked at last week, we're going to close with this. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If I said this to you, and without it being scripture, you would say, why are you just talking about Jesus so much? Look at this verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. This verse is just, this sentence is just packed with Jesus over and over again. This is why forever we will be thankful to Jesus. Every success we have is because of the Son of God. Everything we have is because of the goodness of God. He came to this earth. He gave His life for us. He demonstrated what it is to live before the Father. He wasn't this stoic man that was unapproachable in His holiness. He was entirely approachable. He was flocked to by tax collectors, by prostitutes, by Pharisees. They all wanted to have dinner around this guy. In the back they were mocking him and then they'd come, but they wanted to be around him. Jesus was entirely approachable. He wasn't this holy stoic figure away from us. And he says, take this Jesus and make him a part of your life. I've been crucified with Christ. He lets me be crucified with him. That's very nice of him. He went through the real pain. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That you would live with me, Lord Jesus? And my life, which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. You see this whole transferal. I live by faith in the Son of God. My flesh, I'm done. I can't do this on my own. I can't, I can't do well in this career. I can't do well with other people on my own. I can't do well in this marriage on my own. I can't do it. And you will come to stages in your life, in each one of those areas, where you will be confronted. And you say, I just can't do it. I can't live with this person anymore. I, 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 I can't, I can't take care of my child. I can't wait till my child goes off to college. I, I, you know, they're only 15. I got three more years with them. No. You can't, but Jesus can. But Jesus can. It is a whole transfer. Our flesh is to be done away with. You see, he doesn't leave us stuck in our sensuality. He gives us a victory. That's why I tell you, go through that scriptural sexual ethics teaching, part one through part six. It's like three and a half hours of of just audio teaching. You're not going to be left alone in this. There is victory in this. The struggle that you might have with same-sex attraction. Read these books by, but read that just even the one book by by uh, um, by Rachel Gilson, Born Again This Way, and see that you're not alone in that struggle. You're not alone. You're not alone in that, and and you can you can you can have this whole transferal, these things, and uh, and this overwhelming drive that you have, young man, where you're. Your, your just mind is just filled up all the time with women and you wonder, you know, can I just ever, ever look at a woman normally without thinking all these crazy thoughts about her? I just want you to know, you're not alone. You're not alone at all. There's victory in Christ. There's victory. And He doesn't just leave us there because in ourselves, you're powerless. But it's in Jesus that you can succeed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, blessed be your name. It's all because of you, Lord Jesus. It's all because of you that you allow us to transfer from ourselves and we can put on the armor of light. We can put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We can take your love upon us 
your patience upon us, your forgiveness we can take upon us. Thank you, Lord God, that you make that available to us. It is this transfer from the deeds of darkness to the deeds of light. Oh, Father, I pray for these young people because they are not alone in their struggles. The struggles that they go through are common to all men and women. They are common. And yet there is victory in Christ. Thank you, Lord God, for them. I pray your blessing, your blessing be upon them. And Lord, I pray for the unbelievers, the unbelievers who do not know you. Lord, I pray that they would come to know you even this very day, because without you in their lives, they are powerless in these things without you. So Lord, I commit these precious lives to you. And Lord, I ask you to save another soul today. Save a soul today. And Lord, I commit this to you in the name of my Lord Jesus. Forever, forever, Lord Jesus, I am thankful to you. Amen.